This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today turns to focus on Haggai 1, 1 through 15a, with Haggai's initial statement from God regarding the post-exilic rebuilding of the temple. Together, we will be discussing our call to prioritize God's agenda over our own. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast with you this week to begin a new journey as we work through the minor prophets of Haggai and Malachi. I uh, just want to recap us really quickly, even though this is like a, a new season for the Living Vertizontal Podcast. Last week, we did finish up our conversation on Matthew. Uh, where we focused on Matthew 28, 1 to 20. Um, And as a part of that, we discussed Christ's call to make disciples as we go. Um, This week, as I said, we are starting this new series, uh, and we're going to be working through, over the next nine weeks, we're going to be working through Haggai and Malachi together um, as it moves us into the season of Advent. Uh, Today we will begin in Haggai, looking specifically at chapter 1, verses 1 through 15a. Uh, And within this passage, we explore the context that brings us to this point and what the prophecy of Haggai said to the Israelites then and what it might be saying to us today. Uh, I believe we have Natasha reading for us today. So, Natasha, would you read uh, Haggai chapter 1? verses 1 through 15a. Yes. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops, I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, and olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. 
I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. All right. Thank you for reading that for us uh, today, Natasha. Um, I, I think before we jump into our typical uh, questions and observations of the passage, um, it would be wise of us to um, kind of set a foundation for where we are at and and what has taken place to get us to this place where Haggai is um, speaking this prophetic word to these people of Israel. Um, and so uh, just as a I mean, this is going to be a, a speedy drive-by here, but um, prior to this, um, we have it, the exile that takes place, right, where Babylon comes in, conquers Israel, and carries them off into exile, into captivity. Um, and then subsequent to that, uh, the Persian Empire overthrows the Babylonian Empire, and during the Persian Empire we have a king by the name of Cyrus who um, God actually speaks to, uh, according to Second Chronicles. Um, and in speaking to him, he, he tells Cyrus to send the people of Israel back to the promised land to rebuild specifically for the purpose of rebuilding um, the the temple. And um, so Cyrus issues a decree, uh, sends them back, those who are willing to go, I believe is the, the quote. Um, and so those who are willing return. And the really neat thing is um, they don't just return with just the, the statement to rebuild, but also with the ability to rebuild. Um, when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem, he carried off the contents of the temple at the time and put it into his into their own temples in Babylon as well as his own storehouses. Um, and Cyrus returns all of these things to the Israelite people and says, you need to take these back to your temple. Um, and then he even goes a step further and says, like, we are going to fund this project. And so when you get back to that area, to the trans-Euphrates area, the, the governors and the people in that area are going to contribute to the rebuilding of it. So just let the need be known, what needs to be obtained. It will be provided, and you guys will be able to rebuild just as God told me you need to rebuild. And so they have this, this uh, edict that is issued, and they return. Um, and so we can read about this initial return in Ezra in the first, uh, I think it's the first uh, six chapters of Ezra. Um, and so in reading those, uh, we get this understanding that they initially began rebuilding the temple. They, they set the foundation, they uh, built the altar, um, but then it, it stopped there. And, and you can, go and spend some time in Ezra if you would like to, to, to read about why that stopped and, and what kind of led to that. Um, but the, the 
important pieces for what we're going to be talking about today is the reality is they stopped. Uh, they stopped the rebuilding process and they began doing other things. Uh, and so now um, that's where we find ourselves in this story. So, so to put some dates to these specific things that I just spoke about, um, Cyrus initially issued this decree in 537 BC and then subsequently, it was in 536 where um, the Israelites actually return to Jerusalem and begin this rebuilding process. And then somewhere within there, pretty short after that, you have the discontinuing of the building. Um, and then now when we move into Haggai, we find ourselves right around 520, um, according to the dating that Haggai provides in this, this first verse where it says in the second year of King Darius on the first day of the sixth month, we find ourselves in, in 520. Um, so this is a full, you know, 15, 16 years after they had initially started rebuilding 17 years after their first like edict to rebuild where now they are having this conversation again of it's, it's time. And so with that context in mind, um, Let's open up this conversation. Where What are we seeing? So when I look at the breakdown kind of of this first chapter, I see three sections really emerge. And the first one runs verses 1 through 11. And that one's really focusing on where the Israelites are and what they're doing and what they've decided to devote their efforts and energies to in lieu of being obedient to God. Um, and then as you move down into verse 12, there's their response. So what's the response to what Haggai has, has delivered, this message that Haggai has delivered? And then in verses 13 through 15, where we close out the end of chapter one, there's a promise. And there's a promise that they're not going to have to do this alone, but rather that God is going to be with them as they go. And so as we begin our discussion, I think it would be important for us to keep these three sections in mind and allow those to guide us through our conversation today. So I guess with that, the question is like, wh where do we find ourselves? Like, what are the Israelites doing? What is, what does Haggai have to say about where, where they're at and what they're, what they're doing? It feels like God has entrusted Haggai to remind the people of Israel of what he has commanded through uh, Cyrus and then like as he's revealing this again through through Haggai for um, for the new for the new king and and for the governor and uh, the high priest so it's it's it almost feels like a reminder of you know this is what I called you to and uh, you know I know that you have these things going on that you think are important but like this is the most important thing. And that was something that was discussed on Sunday at our table about, um, you know, prior prioritizing and, and things um, not necessarily being bad, um, but being um, what God is asking should come above, above anything else, above everything else. And so it just feels like for me, like Haggai is reminding them of what God has called them to. Yeah, I think... It's amazing that God, God spoke and he intervened and did this miraculous work where he's 
appearing to this king of a foreign nation and sends this decree some 20 years prior and somehow they've forgotten this. They've forgotten the miracle that God performed just to bring them back to this place. And they've become so focused and preoccupied on, well, what are we doing in the meantime as they wait that they're missing, like their focus is no longer on, on Jesus. And like you said, Derek, it's not like the things that they're doing, you know, trying to grow crops and rebuild their, their homes. It's not like those things are bad in and of themselves, but they've shifted their focus from God and all that he is and all that he directs towards their own self-interests. When I read about what the, um, what the remnant is doing, it reminds me of Ecclesiastes, you know, meaningless. It's all meaningless. And uh, uh, yeah, and it just, you know, they're, they're doing things. And I think about myself, like I, I do a lot of things and I sometimes just do a lot of things to do a lot of things and whether or not those things are what God wants me to do or whether they're just things that I'm doing just to either fill time or, you know, whatever reason. But if that's kind of what it feels like for, um, the remnant, they're, they're doing things that, like you said, that aren't necessarily bad, but are they doing what they're actually supposed to be doing? Well, and I think that when we actually look at the, the things that they are doing, um, just on the surface, not necessarily evaluating the heart thing. I think probably the the prophecy, like God speaking through Haggai, is starting to address the heart that's that is present. Um, but if we look on the surface at the things that they are doing, like these are things that kind of need to be done in a sense. I mean, we're talking about eating, we're talking about drinking, we're talking about uh, making sure they have clothes to wear so they stay warm. We're talking about building shelter. Uh, we're talking about farming. Like th- these are all things that are that we would recognize as basic to survival, basic to survival items, and yet it is in the midst of those basic to survival items that Haggai is saying, like your focus is misplaced. Like you, you've lost sight of who you're supposed to be looking at. You've turned and, and somehow made this more about yourself than about the one who brought you here. It feels very much like previous old Testament thought, like where God has, you know, they've cried out for water and and manna and God's, God's provided these things and it feels very much like that. Like, if you just do what I ask, like, I'll provide those other things. I'll take care of the rest. Like, just, you know, expect that if I've done it before, that I'm going to do it again. And I know, like, at the very end, it's, like, bookended by this promise. But it almost feels like the promise is being, like, kind of ushered in. It's been in. there before. Right, yeah. Like, it's already, like, it's being, like, like almost reminded of promises from the past, like through what Haggai is saying right here or, or what God's saying through Haggai right here. Right. Something that's kind of standing out to me. Um, and it's in verse, uh, two, actually, this is actually like, this is God's accusation, um, of like 
God's statement of what the people of Israel are saying and, and the, the thing that's the problem, right? And so he says, these people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. And I know I said in the intro, you could read in Ezra about like the the things that resulted in the discontinuing of the rebuilding of the temple. Um, and, and you can, I'm going to summarize it by saying there was political pressures that were present that resulted in ultimately the the decision to stop rebuilding. Um, and the, the crazy thing is I'm sitting here reading this and it's like, that was, that was somewhere around 15 years ago that, that those pressures were initiated. And here we are now 15 years later and the people are still permitting that to be their excuse to walk in obedience. And it's almost, it's, it's, it's the thing that actually gives them that excuse gives them permission to walk in the way that they are walking. And I say that specifically, I want to say to walk in disobedience, but for them, like with this excuse, armed with this excuse, they're not saying it's disobedient because it would, it's easy for them to say, well, I mean, we had to. And so in the, in the wake of having to, we took care of all this other stuff just waiting then for us to be able to rebuild, but it's not yet time. And so it's like they've continued to carry this excuse to give permission to do their own thing. And man, I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like that can go in so many different directions in our own lives today. I mean, whether whether we say political pressure, whether we say political permission, whether we say um, constitutional rights, like you can insert whatever you want to. I feel like in the same way that it seems as though the Israelites are using the circumstances of the day to dismiss and give permission to what they decided to do, we do that a lot to excuse what God has called us to and open the door for what's a little more comfortable for us. I feel like that could go, you know, when I'm thinking of, you know, making an excuse for doing, you know, not doing what I know is I'm supposed to do. I, I can see church hurt being a thing. You know, I can't, I can't go back to doing to join a church body because I've been hurt and I have a reason. I have an excuse. It's a good excuse in my mind. Um, and also, you know, seeing other people doing being whether be, whether disobedient or not, but doing other things and thinking, well, if they can do it and they call themselves a Christian, well, I can do that too. And just giving, you know, just further justifying your actions by means other than God, by right. how you feel or how somebody else is doing something. But that that's what I see. I, I get that. I think this is why it's so important to be living moment by moment and listening to what Jesus has to say and only saying what Jesus wants us to say. Because in this instance, if Haggai hadn't been there, now I know God can use somebody else, but he was willing to be used. And God spoke through him to a people who had a receptive heart. 
And sometimes like we allow the, just as much as we like any of those other situations, we can allow like in that moment of God speaking and saying, okay, like I need you to say this. We can come up with every reason why I shouldn't be the one to give this news. And so, I mean, there's something to that willingness of being in that, you know, in that relationship with God, but also being willing to say that because it doesn't just affect Haggai. We're, we're talking about a, a whole people that it's affecting if he doesn't say, you know, what God's placed on his heart. And so, you know, sometimes we can make those excuses just, just in the same way about doing what God wants us to do in saying something. Because if we don't say it, how are people going to like be reminded? Because um, there is that element. We know that God speaks through all, like, all things, and we're part of those things that he speaks through. And so if we don't do our part, someone very well, we're a whole, a whole people can miss what God's trying to say. And so Zerubbabel and Joshua receive this message from Haggai, and they're kind of stuck in this, or confronted, I guess, with this situation or decision as to whether or not they're going to listen yes to Haggai, but then also are they going to test Haggai's words and listen to God speak to them directly um, and affirm that what Haggai has said is in fact a word from the Lord. And that's that living vertizontal piece that, that you mentioned and brought up again, Derek, where we obedience requires relationship. And Jesus knew that. And that's why he died as we, we just came from Matthew. That's why he died. And that's why we have the gift of his spirit to help us in our moment by moment decisions. And so as Zerubbabel and Joshua contemplate and test these things, they ultimately come to the decision to obey what Haggai has asked of them and they're going, they're committed and resolved now to rebuild this temple. And in the same way, it's so important for us to test both the instruction we receive from others, as you mentioned, Derek, and, and hold that carefully and weigh it and say, Jesus, is this, are these words, your words, is this truth, your truth? And what changes do I need to make and really take the time to slow down and test every thought and then allow those things to shape our, our actions or our, our future words so that we can make the decision to be obedient just as Zerubbabel and Joshua led the remnant of Israel to do. I do think it's pretty cool though, that um, it's another example of God using imperfect people because uh, Zerubbabel had kind of, you know, went askew a little, but as we just came from Matthew, it wasn't on the podcast that we covered this, but he's listed in the genealogy. And so I just think it's cool. Another example of, of God using imperfect people to, uh, bring about Jesus. Well, to bring about his kingdom. Right. Right. I mean, I think that's, that's a piece that it, I think we should maybe take a moment to talk about it. I mean, so Natasha, you bring us to this place where um, Zerubbabel and and Joshua recognize, yes, this is God speaking and, and they affirm that. And let's see where it's uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua 
and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, and the message of the prophet Haggai, right? So like this statement is made in verse 12 that they are, they obey. And so you have the intention there. And then, you know, just a couple of verses later, it says they came and began to work on the house of the Lord almighty, their God. And so you have the intention, you have the action. And and so they have heard the message the message has spurred them on to action. And so now they are walking in obedience. And, and for them specifically, this obedience looks like the actual physical rebuilding of the temple. And for them then, the temple is representative of that place where the presence of God dwells that place where the presence of God can be encountered, can be interacted with. And so the temple is an important piece to the nation of Israel and to the greater world at large. Now, for us today, that the physical temple does not necessarily hold that same position. And so for us in the position we find ourselves in, it would be hearing this specific prophecy may seem a little strange, right? But the temple can be indicative of the establishment of the kingdom of heaven, of, of God's kingdom there, then. And today we are also still called just as called to establish the kingdom of God here and now. And so though our invitation to rebuild is not a physical structure, the invitation still exists for us to be rebuilding or building the kingdom of heaven here and now. And so our walk of obedience looks like putting his kingdom first it looks like putting others first. Yeah, I think we are temples, essentially. And we have this calling to continue to work in our obedience and reliance on the Holy Spirit as he dwells in us, as his presence fills us more. And so when our focus is on all the things and tasks around us that we have to accomplish, we miss out on him being our primary focus. And so then his presence isn't, I mean, it's there, but it's not as fully realized in our lives and it doesn't dwell in its fullness in our temples that we are, we are called to be. What you said is, is true. Like I think that sometimes People focus so much on the building that they forget about that we are the temple and that which somebody asked at our table, they, they asked about um, like, why are they using wood? Like, I don't know what the original temple was like. Was it stone? Huh? I think it was, it was stone. I think there stone? Was, well, there was stone and wood and gold like layering. But you know, I, I had no contextual like background for this, but you know, to me, it, it made it feel like we're not focusing on the structure. Like if you're building something out of wood, it's a symbol that it's temporary. Like it's a sign, like this is not going to last forever. Most wood structures don't last forever. 
I obviously I have no like nothing to say that that's definitively it, but it wouldn't shock me that God does something to make it where people like it's going to at some point be gone, and like the temple's not the point. The building itself is not the point. It is at this time, but when Jesus comes, like that structure no longer has the same significance that it was holding for them. So then I guess as we go recognizing ourselves to be the temple and his presence to be dwelling within us, we can find affirmation for this conclusion in verses 13 through 15, where Haggai then delivers this message in response to their obedience and says, I am with you, declares the Lord. And so we have this promise that God is going to be with us. And so as we as we seek to obey him, as we forsake our needs, our agendas, our plans, and lay those down in favor for fixing our eyes on him and being obedient to him, even when it seems like it doesn't make sense, we have this promise that he will be with us and we can go in his peace. And, and really, like, this is where we just came from. In Matthew, we, we see the obedience of Jesus to the Father and what that means for us um, in his death and his resurrection. And he even told them, that, you know, when I go, my Father will send an advocate. And so we don't have to do this alone. We never have to go alone. And I think, you know, as, as we work through this, the, our books this week, like, I, I recognize that there's this element of me needing to surrender and not just like like saying I surrender once and that's it. But every day I need this conscious effort of surrendering my will, you know, this daily um, sacrificing of my life. I, I need to die daily more and more. And, and I don't just say that like figuratively, like I literally need to die more every day. Like if if people aren't seeing more of Jesus in me tomorrow than they do today, then I, I'm missing it. And so I, I think it's, I don't intend when I do things, when I get distracted with my things to, to suppress God and who he is. But the reality is that when I'm choosing myself over, over Jesus, that I'm saying that today I'm, I'm God in my life. And I don't want that. And I don't think that any of us want that. We don't want that for the people listening. That's not our desire. And so I think today, like, the challenge has to be, like, as I wake up, that I come before Jesus and I say, today I surrender, whatever that looks like. As you journey with us, we recommend purchasing Midweek Meditations, A Journey Through Haggai and Malachi, which is available for purchase on Amazon. Also, be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.